0: morning, I'm realizing I'm going to be doing this about three or four more times here in the next couple days, and uh, it got me longing for summer, you know what I'm saying? I was thinking, man, I sure, uh, I sure miss uh, August right about now. And uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do in, the, uh, in my free time uh, during the summer is to take my kids, I've got a, a three-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, take, me, take my kids on, uh, hiking on some of our local trails here in the area. And uh, one day this past summer, I took my kids on a hike along the river over in St. Croix Falls. And uh, we were a lot walking along this dirt path, and uh, a beautiful day, we were enjoying the scenery outside. And all of a sudden, my three-year-old son, Caleb, uh, tugged at my shirt and said, said, Daddy, look! And Caleb had stopped, and he was pointing down at the path to an anthill. That somebody had stepped on and smashed. And there were ants laying there that had been squashed, and some of them were wounded, some of them were dead, and a whole bunch of them were scurrying around frantically. And Caleb, my three year old, he looked up at me in his three year old dialect. He said, Daddy, maybe we help those ants. And I looked down on my son, and I said, Caleb, that's so nice of you. That's so nice of you that you want to help those ants. But I said, Caleb, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do for them. Later that day, as we were walking, I couldn't help but think about the concerned look on my son's face as he looked down and saw those ants, wanting to help them. You know, as I reflected back on this story this week, it got me thinking that this must have been similar to God's experience them 2,000 years ago. You see, 2,000 years ago, God looked down upon a world that he had created, a world that he loved. And God saw that our world had been crushed under the weight of sin and evil. And God saw his creation searching frantically, looking for hope. And being our Heavenly Father, God said, I want to help you. I want to tell you how much I love you. How is God going to do that? God said, I will become a man. And I will live like a man. And talk like a man. And by my life, you will know what I am like. And you will know my love for you. And so 2,000 years ago, on that very first Christmas, God invaded human history. The greatest event that ever took place. God broke into human history, splitting history into B.C. and A.D., and he personally revealed himself to us. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ, who by his very nature was God, humbled himself and became a man. And he did this so that men and women might truly know who God is and have their lives reconciled to him. You know, friends, I'll never forget the excitement 10 years ago. You remember what happened 10 years ago? Almost a week from now, 10 years ago, remember? Y2K, right? You remember Y2K? I remember watching New Year's Eve, Y2K, fireworks going off in every capital city of the world. Tokyo, Beijing, Sydney, Moscow, Paris, London, Sao Paulo, Buenos Aires, Washington, D.C., Mexico City. Fireworks exploding in every capital city in the world. Friends, what were we celebrating? We were celebrating 2,000 years for only one reason. We celebrated because the entire world could not escape the reality that 2,000 years ago something happened to radically change human history. That history had been split into B.C. and A.D. and God had invaded human history and had become a man. The Gospel of John describes what happened on this first Noel, the first Christmas. In John chapter 1... Verses 1 through 4 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John goes on in verses 10 through 14 to say, He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In this passage, John uses the Greek term logos, or the word, to refer to the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, in ancient Greek philosophy, the term logos was used to refer to the creative force in the universe that gave life to all things. But the ancient philosophers never identified what or who the logos was. They rightly understood that the universe must have had a creator. But they never knew who that creator was. And here John tells us the answer to the mystery of the Lagos. He says that Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ is God and the source of all life. And most significantly, John tells us that the word, God, our creator, became flesh so that we might know with certainty who God is and how we can have a relationship with him. The Apostle Paul explains this truth further in Colossians 1.15, where he declares that on that first Christmas, the invisible God, the invisible God made himself visible. Paul says that Jesus Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. But what does that mean? Well, friends, it's just like right now as we sit here in the sanctuary. Right now, all around us, our television shows, movies, sporting events, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, It's a Wonderful Life, they're all around us right now. We can't see them, but they're here. And I tell you what, friends, if we had a little black box here this afternoon called a television set, and if we were to attach an antenna to that television set, plug it into a power outlet and hit that power button, what would happen? Suddenly the invisible would be made visible. And you see, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. God, who is spirit, wanted to reveal himself personally to us. And so Jesus Christ became the television set of God. The visible expression of the invisible God. Friends, if you want to know what God is like, you want to know what God is like? If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that He is God come in human flesh, He is Emmanuel, He is God with us. And while this fact truly is the reason for the season, You've heard that before, right? It truly is the reason for the season. Many people today have sadly forgotten why we celebrate Christmas. Like my two-year-old daughter Addie recently. A couple weeks ago we asked her, Addie, whose birthday do we celebrate on Christmas? And she emphatically declared, Santa Claus! (laughs) You know, we laugh at this coming from a two-year-old. But I wonder, friends, how many people in our world today would answer that question the very same way. The greatest gift ever given to humanity. And all too often, this true meaning of Christmas is ignored, rejected, or simply lost in the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. Kind of like that present you hide in the back of your closet only to discover it seven months later in July and realize, oh, shoot, I left the present... This past summer, I remember that. I'm cleaning out my closet in my bedroom, and sure enough, here's a present I was supposed to give my dad back last December. Friends, let us not forget. Let us not forget that Christmas is about a gift. A gift from our Creator. A gift of love. And his name is Jesus. Now, some of you might be here this afternoon and... Maybe you know all about the Christmas story. You've heard the stories of angels and shepherds, of wise men from the east, how there was no room at the inn, and how the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus in a stable. You might be able to recite the whole thing. But maybe for you, that's all it is. Just a nice story. And as soon as Christmas is over, it doesn't cross your mind again until next December. Or maybe... Like the author of a blog posting I read this past week, maybe you simply wonder really, what's so special about Jesus? Have you ever thought about that, friends? What is so special about Jesus? What is so unique about Jesus Christ? You know, when you think about it, he possessed no certificates nor degrees. He never traveled farther than 200 miles from the place he was born. He lived and moved among the common people. He was not an author. He wrote no books, composed no poems, compiled no documents, edited no papers, nor contributed to any periodicals. The only sentence he ever wrote was a single line in the sand that disappeared that same day. No letter of it was preserved. He never used a pen, a computer, Microsoft Word. We have no line word or syllable from his hand. And yet, more books have been written about him and his words than any other man. He has affected the lives of more people than all the authors of all the ages. The story of his life has been translated now into over 2,500 languages around the world and is read every year by billions of people. He was not a professional speaker, yet no one spoke as this man. His discourses have become the themes of millions of addresses. His words are simple and clear. Very few adjectives are used, yet his sentences abound with meaning. Beauty and grace His sayings are hammered into polished marble, chiselled into imperishable granite, wrought into enduring bronze tablets, fashioned in stained glass windows of numerous cathedrals, etched in rich mosaics upon temple walls, and set in the arched domes of colossal cathedrals all around the world. His words are literary gems Shakespeare. Milton and Emerson all bow their heads in his presence, recognizing a superior. He was not a poet, yet he has inspired thousands of poets to utter their most sublime expressions. He was not a musician, yet he inspired Mozart, Schubert, Beethoven, Mendelssohn, Handel, and countless others. He was not an artist nor a sculptor, nor a painter. Yet he was the inspiration for Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Hoffman, and so many more. He was not a lawyer, yet he knew the law, he interpreted it, and he applied it to the relationships that should prevail among men and women. And he himself became the fountainhead of righteousness. Righteousness. He was not a doctor, yet he healed the sick, opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, cleansed the leper, and even raised the dead. He was not a statesman. He never held nor aspired to official position. He did not delve into politics, but he did found a kingdom. He was not a general, yet he became the conqueror of the world. In war or in peace, in good times or bad, friends, it remains true that no single word grips the hearts of men and women like the name of Jesus. To say that history bears his imprint is putting it much too mildly. Lecky, the famous historian, speaks without exaggeration when he declares the simple record of three short years of Christ's active life has done more to regenerate humanity than any other influence that has ever been felt on earth. If any of you dealt this, just try and imagine what it would be like in this world of 2009 if suddenly the name of Jesus were torn from us and with it everything for which it stands. Friends, life is hard enough as it is. It would be intolerable without the message of Christmas. It would be unbearable without the song of Easter. You see, 2,000 years ago, God invaded human history. He came to reveal himself to us. To demonstrate his love and to explain how we might find peace and hope and life and salvation. In that most famous Bible verse, John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus himself tells us in John 10.10 that he came that we might have life and life to the full. And as we read earlier in John chapter 1, God promises that to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. Are you a child of God tonight, friend? Have you placed your hope in Jesus Christ? If not, what better time than Christmas to receive God's most precious gift? And I'll tell you something else. If you're here tonight, friends, and you think your life is beyond hope, if you think that there's no way that God could ever love you, that your life is so screwed up and messy God would never touch it, friend, remember this. God came to us in a stable. The Son of God spent his first night on earth in a manger, a feeding trough for pigs and cattle, full of slime and slop and filth. Friends, God knows all about messiness. And he came into this world for messy people. And all of us have been tainted by the slime and slop of this world. Sin, evil, heartache, rebellion. God knows all about it. And yet he loves us. And he came. He came. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came he died for you and for me while we were still sinners isn't it good to know you don't have to be perfect God came for sinful people what's even more amazing friends is that Christmas is just the beginning of this because Christ's ultimate demonstration of love came when he shed his blood on the cross As a sacrifice for our sins. Back in January of 2005, our nation witnessed one of its worst train crashes in history. A Los Angeles Metrolink train collided with an SUV, causing the train to derail and then strike another Metrolink train coming in the opposite direction. Eleven people were killed and another 180 were seriously injured. For one of the rescue workers sent to the scene, this event left an indelible impression. Firefighter Captain Rosario had spent hours among the wreckage, looking for survivors. And just when his hopes were fading, he heard a passenger from the train call out for help, saying that another passenger, there was a man trapped in the debris. Using the jaws of life, rescuers were able to free a man named John from the wreckage. And that's when Captain Rosario saw the message. While John was pinned under a train seat and other debris from the crash, he knew he was seriously injured. He was bleeding. And he was having trouble breathing, and he believed he was going to die. And so with the little energy he had left, John wrote a simple message to his wife and kids on the seat he was pinned under and he wrote it in his own blood. I love my wife. I love my kids, he printed, with the blood ink running out as he got to that second sentence. Captain Rosario discovered that message, and as he related that story to the news media, the firefighter choked with emotion. He said the fact that this guy in this situation had the amount of love he had for his family and for him to realize, I'm possibly going to die here, how could any words explain it? He wrote, I love you, in his blood. In a similar way, friends, God has communicated his love to each and every one of us. With the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, God gave us a very special gift on that first Christmas when he gave us Jesus Christ. But God's ultimate gift of love was when he willingly allowed himself to go to that cross, to shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4 9 through 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John 3.17 tells us that God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. To save the world through him. And in 1 John 1, 9, we read that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. My friends, this is ultimately what Christmas is all about. As the angel of the Lord proclaimed on that first silent night 2,000 years ago, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Friends, a Savior has been born to us. God has given us a very special gift. Have you received that gift? It's God's present to you this Christmas. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I honestly don't know. I don't know if words can adequately express how much we owe you, the gratitude we owe you, the thankfulness we owe you for what you did when you sent your Son into this world as our God, our Creator, who made us and loved us, who looked down upon this world and saw a world that had been so screwed up by sin and evil and heartbreak. And yet you were willing to come into the midst of this messiness, Lord, to show us the way to life and hope and salvation. And more than that, you gave your very life on a cross shedding your blood to demonstrate how much you love us and to forgive us of our sins and we thank you for that Lord. May we not forget that this Christmas that that's what Christmas is ultimately all about an amazing gift from our Heavenly Father Lord I would be willing to bet that in a crowd this size tonight there might be somebody here who is not sure that they have ever received that gift. Maybe they know the Christmas story, but maybe they've never made it personal for them. Maybe they've never embraced Jesus Christ for themselves. (laughs) Lord, if there's somebody here tonight who needs to have a relationship with you, who needs to receive that gift, I just pray, God, that even right now as we sit here, that you might touch their heart, that you might inspire them tonight to call out to you. Even in the silent of their own heart, Lord, to call out to you and admit their need for you as their Savior. Father, I remember when I turned my life over to you. How in just a simple prayer of, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. And even in a simple prayer, Lord, to have the confidence for all of eternity that you have transformed my life. I just know what joy that was. And I pray, God, that if there's somebody here tonight, this afternoon, who has never received the gift of Jesus, that this Christmas might be the most special Christmas of all, that they might turn their lives over to you and say, God, I need you. I need that gift of Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I want to embrace the gift you gave me when you sent your son to die on the cross. Friends, there's no better time than Christmas to accept that greatest gift. Lord, thank you. Father, help us to live for you, not only on Christmas, but every day, Lord. Help us to live with hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done for us. We are so grateful, Lord. Merry Christmas to you, Jesus. We love you. In your precious name.